Welcome to Let's Talk Social Work. I'm Andy McClanahan, and today my guests and I will be discussing the therapeutic role artistic and musical creativity can play in improving mental health. We'll be focusing on the benefits which have come from an incredibly exciting initiative led by Impact CAMS, a service user involvement group established by the Belfast Health and Social Care Trust, which supported a group of young people who use CAMS services to write and record music as part of a collective called Counterpart. With me to discuss the project are social worker with Belfast Health and Social Care Trust Child and Adolescent Mental Health Services, Sarah Ombler, and experts by experience who were part of Impact Cams, Ash and Molly. Sarah, Ash, Molly, welcome to Let's Talk Social Work. How are you guys doing? It's great to have you here. Ash, you first. How are you? All good. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming in. We are doing this face-to-face. Uh, this is in the Basel Northern Ireland office, which is probably why it sounds a little bit different if you're a regular listener. We are in a sort of bare meeting room which is definitely not a podcast studio but it's lovely just to get to sit down with people and talk face to face molly how are you doing i'm doing good 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 it's it's incredible we are having sort of would you call it an indian summer sarah isn't that right yeah <laughs> this is the the fourth of september it feels like it's the middle of july well that's not true middle of july was absolutely miserable oh my um, god yeah. yeah this is like this kind of this, what happens with school isn't it june was nice july august were rubbish go back to school september like the, the, the start of june we had really good weather yeah. and then it diminished from there that's yeah. it, exam weather and then this is back to school when you feel miserable um yeah so wonderful well listen i'm going to talk about impact cams um sarah we found out about this project it was for basel northern ireland's uh, world social work day 2023 event back in march you gave a presentation um along with one of the young people who was it, it was Molly, wasn't it? Yeah. It was, at, yeah. Yes, at the Long Gallery installment. And that's where I found out about this. And I was encouraged. Uh, I didn't need much encouragement, but to cover it on the podcast, because I think this is a really, really interesting piece of work. Really good example of co-production. But I'm going to stop talking. Tell us a bit about Impact Camps. <laughs> um, where did it begin? Um, how did the initiative come about? So I suppose we've been on a bit of a journey. Um, the Nikki report in 2017 said that Camps didn't have a lot of service user involvement. Um, Nikki is the Northern Ireland Children and Young People's Commissioner. Exactly yeah. that, yeah. So um, myself and a colleague, Seanine, were really, really passionate about service user involvement. We really wanted to do it. Um, so we started kind of recruiting service users to do like specific projects with us. And we love doing that. But whenever we found, if anyone's seen the, there's like a ladder of participation, um, Heart made it. We realized that actually it was kind of our agenda and that wasn't exactly what young people were bringing to us. They said like they were lonely, they were really socially anxious. So then we were like, oh, I know, great idea to get services involved. Like let's arrange workshops for CVs and treasure hunts and stuff. Things that we thought were great ideas and nobody came to because they were rubbish. So um, then we were like, actually, no, let's just ask for feedback and then create ideas from that that led to us decorating a therapy room which was great but actually we realized that people needed to kind of get to know each other to do like a longer term project um so yeah in april 2019 we recruited for like a creative arts project because that was what people were saying they wanted and molly came along ash came along a whole other group of young people came along and said yeah that they were really into creative arts and we decided we would throw the first ever well mental health day um which we did using covers at the time although there were a few originals and following that then the group decided actually why don't we write our own so that's kind of where this all started so april 2019 sorry the first event was World Mental Health Day? First event was October that year. Okay, so that was pretty quick turnaround. Mm-hmm. Um, Molly, Ash, tell us a bit about the project. Um, yeah, what was involved, Molly? 
um, a lot of conversation about music and art, and it was really focusing on the message of what you can convey through that music and through that art that you can create. Um, I think a lot of people don't realise that you don't have to talk to be able to communicate your feelings. And, you know, working through music and art really, really helped a lot of people in the group. So it is effective. And do you mean people found it helpful because they would rather not talk and they were looking for another Mm -hmm. way of expressing themselves? Yeah. Yeah. And like Sarah and I were speaking about um, a person in the group, I'll not mention their name, obviously, but um, they had said that they really struggled to be able to communicate their feelings through words and being able to write the lyrics really helped. That's really interesting, Molly. Can you tell us a bit about your, well, what was your role in the band Counterpart? Yeah, I'd done a lot of singing and <laughs> um, a bit of songwriting. Okay. I had originally wrote my own song the year prior to this event, this whole group thing. Um, I wrote this song based on how I was feeling at the time. And I just had this, it was like an epiphany where when I was writing the song, I was like, right, this is it. I need to have a bit of hope and everything's going to be okay. And I'm going to write all that I'm feeling down and that I know that everything's going to be all right. What was the song called? It's called Hope. And is that one of the ones on the record? It is indeed, yeah. Okay, great. So anyone who wants to find out, we're going to have a track at the end to play out the, the episode, but I'll put a list of links into the show notes for the Spotify account and stuff so you can find this all out. Um, Ash, are you a musician yourself? I am, yes. I've been playing guitar since I was about, I don't know, maybe nine years old. Okay. Um, granted I haven't been doing that constantly I kind of took a few years off but doing this I was definitely able to pick it up again and you know keep it going for a little bit wonderful and what did it mean to you in terms of your I suppose your your own recovery uh, to play music as part of this project I mean I'm someone who's I've always loved music Um, I've always wanted to play it in some capacity whether that's just kind of like in my own room or even like I've wanted to play it as like some sort of performance at some stage in my life you know yes and getting this was just like a great opportunity for me to be able to you know really express myself with that music to the world and show people you know what I can do that's amazing um okay so in terms of songwriting though Molly you Right. Not everyone is a songwriter. It's one of those kind of unique sort of roles that people kind of mm-hmm. often just find themselves doing. Were there others uh, who were involved in the, the writing for the, the project? We actually came together um, because it was just after COVID or even during COVID. We had come together um, and wrote the lyrics just through conversation. Um, so there were a few songs that are absolutely amazing. And we all wrote them as a team. And I just see the lyrics in them. They're just... When you look at them or you listen to them, they're just, there's no words for them. They're just brilliant. Okay. And I'm always really interested in this. I am a musician. I am a songwriter. The idea of writing songs with other people is kind of like the idea of like getting dressed in front of other people or something. I don't, <laughs> yeah. it's just the idea that <laughs> yeah. makes me cringe to my core and I've always avoided ever having to do it. Um, so did you, you find that an easy experience or, or was there a sort of psychological hurdle to get past to, to begin working? Because it is when you're writing, especially about what you guys are writing about, you're revealing something to yourself mm-hmm. and there is a definitely a vulnerability there. So how did uh, how did you kind of overcome that hurdle or maybe it wasn't a hurdle tell me well i think because our group was such a long process of getting to know each other i think sarah and shawnee were fantastic in regards to making sure everybody took some time to be able to get to know everybody and also like helped people see who would stay in the group and who would sort of just fade off because it mightn't be their thing sure 
Um, but yeah, I think that whole like long sort of speaking to everybody and getting to know everybody really, really played a huge part in it. And not everybody is musical. Not everyone is a writer. So Sarah, um, um, Molly was saying about people that weren't involved, but were there others who were still involved in the Counterpart Project who wouldn't be? Kind of wouldn't think of themselves as musical? Absolutely, yeah. Myself and Sean, well, Seanine would be musical. I'm certainly not. Um, but yeah, there were plenty of young people as well who, so we had one person who was an amazing poet and like we were able to incorporate that into lyrics, which was just amazing. Um, I think that was a really nice part of the group as well. It was such a huge learning part. We were discussing like the meaning of language as well in a really weird therapeutic way. So like, um, love you like you're my firstborn or something. And people were like, oh, I don't like that because, or oh, I love that because. And um, yeah, like we had really good discussions about the meaning of language and how we interpreted language and everybody just came in. And like even people who weren't musical, we went to the recording studio to like take the finished project, not anticipating making any noise at all because like I'm a poet I don't make music and suddenly we were all there with what was it like a tambourine and like yeah all this bunch of stuff there was a bunch of stuff and it was so fun like seeing people getting involved that aren't really into it well they're not not into it but they're like do you know what I mean like they're they're they don't see themselves as someone who's musically inclined do you know what I mean what was it we all shouted at one point as well like all our voices are on it oh my god I'm not doing it (laughs) Um, just in terms of that's really interesting the exploration of language and meaning because so much of language especially kind of around a therapeutic context can be well there's a lot of jargon sometimes Mm. and sort of kind of scientific language as well that can be a bit bit hard to engage with in doing that in writing about your experiences in your own words I'm guessing that was a real way to take ownership of your own process and and as as a therapeutic process would that be right yeah Okay, great. I think even Kira spells that out quite nicely as well. Mm-hmm, if definitely. you listen to the lyrics at the start, Kira is... Kira is a song, isn't so it? So Kira was written yeah. after Storm Kira. Okay. I'll not talk a lot about it because it's your baby, but... Um, <laughs> yeah, born. like at, at my firstborn, exactly. <laughs> um, Freud's in here somewhere. So um, we basically, like at the start of the song, it's all about like my recovery and sometimes I slip into like not wanting to recover or kind of embracing the difficulty. But then towards the end, it's like, right, I've had enough of this, like get out of my life. I don't want this anymore. It was just like a real journey, even in the context of a song and the conversations that were had around that. And about some people saying, well, actually, I don't want to get better sometimes. I just kind of get so stuck. I can't feel, you know, yes. it was really, really. Sometimes you just kind of get into that and you're like, you're just feeling sorry for yourself. And you just, you, you, there's a part of you that almost wants to be hurt. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what the song is about is that like it's a part of you is wanting, just not wanting to get better, not wanting to go through that effort. But then you decide, no, enough's enough. I'm going to do this. I'm going to keep going. Yes, yeah. I can, in terms of ident- trying to identify with what you're talking about, uh, um, Ash, and I don't want to presume to know what you are going through, but that idea that once you get better, it's kind of like a breakthrough to something and then there has to be something on the other side. And when it's hard to envisage what's on the other side, it can be quite scary. I yeah. find that in therapy that I've been involved in, kind of talking to the counsellor I've been working with. And it's like, you know, there's a barrier to that last step of kind of healing. And it's just like, well, because what happens when I'm not... Well, in my words, when I don't consider myself broken anymore, you know, what what is that going to be like? And I found that quite uh, difficult. I'm going to move on before I get myself all teary. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> um, 
in terms of just the, let's just, before we move on from the writing ash you are a musician were you involved in the writing process collectively a little bit yeah um i didn't contribute a ton to the writing myself but there was definitely like kind of I think we all did still contribute to it quite a lot. I mean, there was definitely a lot of kind of like back and forth where we had like a few words done and there was a lot of back and forth. Like this person says this, this person says that, you know? Yeah. Uh, I definitely contributed a little bit there, but not as much as like some other people, I think. Yes. And had you done anything like this before? Had anyone been in bands before this project? I myself had been in like a couple little bands here and there, but okay. nothing never like really too serious. It was just like a little band practice thing. Sure. Um, it is awesome being in the band, isn't it? It's the greatest thing ever. Quite fun, yeah. <laughs> See, playing loud electric guitar. It's, if for anyone who doesn't know what I'm talking about, uh, you'll never, you'll never know. All it's the, the way, just absolutely destroy the speakers. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, and you don't grow out of it. So um, Ash and Molly are a lot younger than me. Um, I'm a lot older than them, and I still enjoy doing this. No, you're not. Yeah. I am, actually. I am, Molly. Um, I'm probably older than you think I am. Um, but uh, let's not get into that. Um, what sort of music do you guys like to listen to? Do you want to go first? Oh, I mean, I listen to quite a lot of different things. My 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 music ranges from, um, you know, really like light sounding Isle City type okay. kind of to um, Isle City had that Firefly song, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Pretty, yeah so okay. kind of like from that range to like the heavy metal, um, Avenged Sevenfold, Slipknot, that sort of thing. Okay. So it kind of just ranges between like those kinds of things, a lot of like heavy rock and things. Do you find something therapeutic in kind of angry music? Yeah, definitely. It's like, it's like there's, it's a way to, to really release like a lot of emotion at yeah. once. Like you'll have, I, I find that like there's songs that kind of like help express and release some emotion like a little bit at a time, but for me listening to that angry music really makes me feel like in the mood to like just like release everything you yeah. know so it's not a destructive thing it's a it's kind of a no absolutely thing. Yeah, not yeah. no yeah. yeah and molly what do you like i like a wee bit of everything but i am a bit old-fashioned so i do like sort of like andy williams or doris day oh, okay yeah <laughs> it's strange give our listeners both of you give our listeners a recommendation Yes, please. Oh my goodness, yes. Put you on the spot. No, no, I'm asking you. Oh, us, yeah. Oh my goodness. There are so many amazing songs. Although there is um Doris Davis in a musical. Yeah. Um called Calamity Jane. Yeah, yes. yes. Oh I, my god. I know it well. Oh my god. It's such a good movie. <laughs> my sister movie. used to watch that on the loop. Yeah. Okay. <gasps> I love it so much. That's that's pretty I wasn't expecting that as a musical recommendation. Oh my god. The whole movie is just you just want to dance with it. Like yes. sometimes I'm in the kitchen yes. and I'll stick Chicago on or something yes. and I'll start dancing about. Yeah. It's great emptying the dishwasher. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Windy City is mighty pretty. Um, yep. Ash, give us a recommendation. Oh, um, oh, you really are putting me on the spot here. I literally, I can't think of anything right now. That's okay. Sarah, um, what about you? What do you like to listen to? Oh, not popular choice, country music. Right, that's wonderful because I'm going to talk to you about some. But tell us what you like to listen to. Just anything country. Okay. Luke Combs, anything. Okay. I have recently discovered an artist called Adeem the Artist. Do you know Adeem the Artist? Anybody know Adeem the Artist? So Adeem, I was reading an article in, um, I think it was in the New Yorker a few, about a month ago. And it was about progressive country music because there's the thing with, like, there was that awful um, Jason Aldean song. 
um, not in this small town or try that in a small town I don't know if you follow this yeah so it was kind of like it was in response to that it was about East Nashville and it was about progressive country music and this um, musician called Adim the Artist um, they are non-binary uh, and they write a lot about their kind of their gender identity but they also write a lot about they came from a deeply religious background um, which I find fascinating to kind of like watch that journey and um they have a record called White Trash Revelry, which you should listen to because I just think it is the most splendid piece of kind of kind of rootsy country music exploring social issues, um, issues about identity, and it's just absolutely class. So I think there was an individual in our group who actually mentioned a song that sounds really familiar to okay, her. Okay, okay. But they, we haven't spoke to them in a wee while. They, they, they are still doing well from what we know, but... I, they were into that sort of thing, so they were. Yeah, yes. I hope anyone listening listens to it. It's great. <laughs> the first song on the record, White Trash Revelry, which is about his parents, it's about basically his conception. Uh, there's a line in it, which I think is the most clever kind of rhyming triplet in a country song I've heard in a long time. Uh, it goes, uh, she fired a red hot box shot, uh, distress call across the, the parking lot, which is just so clever. And I'm just like, that's just brilliant. I'm glad I got to share that. And I'm glad you like country <laughs> music. Um, so don't ever apologize for that, Sarah. Um, <laughs> Right, so yeah, I had mentioned I've been in bands since I was a teenager, um, you know, and I'm aware there's sort of dynamics that come in um, when people are working together on creative projects, and there can be tension, and that can be really helpful in terms of you know generating output and being creative, but it can also cause difficulties. So I just wanted to explore: was the whole process harmonious, or were there any points at which things got a bit kind of tangled? I think we were we were quite in sync by this point, you know. I mean in terms of like writing the music and everything. I mean, we started off, um, we clicked quite quickly before we ever did our first performance. Um, and then by the time we got around to writing our own music, we were all quite close. So I think we were pretty much in sync by this point. We all had our own things in the band. We all had our own kind of roles and contributions. And I think there was definitely like some like some sensitivity towards each other being all from like very similar kind of backgrounds in terms of like our mental health and everything that we were able to just get through it you know yeah 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 definitely what were you saying earlier about um like when bands fall apart and you were saying there's like a balance i find yeah i've 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 sometimes found that um there's like a bit of a balance in some bands how um some of them either have members that just like they've never had any sort of like mental health issues or anything they've never really experienced that so they don't really know how to be sensitive in that regard and then there's others that are maybe too mentally unstable who've never like really had their kind of the proper treatment uh which can definitely have its own issues as well um but i think as like all people who have that very similar like mental health background that are being fairly well treated that we were all able to get that right kind of sensitivity there it's really really interesting to hear that that everybody kind of had an understanding of where everybody else was at to a certain degree yeah because i'm thinking of problems i've had in you know that question was basically written about my experiences and you know <laughs> tension and fallouts and often insecurities that i had that were yeah. kind of unacknowledged um could have been quite problematic um yeah yeah i, I think know. it's a sense of maturity as well though yeah definitely i know i've definitely been in a couple bands um as a teenager as well before i was ever getting like you know any sort of help for my mental health and with friends who also weren't getting help for their mental health and it just like it ended badly okay okay 
I've been in bads in my 30s that ended badly. Don't worry, Ash. I think like in talking therapies as well, we do what we call like explicit mentalizing where like you're wondering about other people's thoughts and feelings and emotions. And that was happening in the room. So it always sticks in my mind about how two people in the group one person said to another person, you know, when I first met you, I thought you were too cool to talk to. And the other person just replied and was like, what? Like, I've not left my house in like years. Yes. It's amazing that you should think that. But actually being able to say that out loud and to know each other and to be like strong enough and together enough to be able to have that conversation. Yeah. That's such good learning. And what was it like, Ash, when someone said, I thought you were too cool to talk to? I said the exact same thing back. <laughs> <laughs> I remember a girl in our group, um, who we were speaking about earlier, who it says, oh, I thought you were such a B word because you look so pretty or something and you look so cool or whatever. And I was like, no, it's the other way around. Like, uh, yes, you yes. always get that sort of, it's always reciprocated. Yes. Yeah. You know, and that's a lot of people, as soon as you walk into the room and you see them, they're just like, oh my God, how are you doing? Like, what's happening? And they give you the tea. We were very awkward at the beginning, but I think oh, yeah. like we very quickly learned how similar we were and that definitely helped bring us together. Yes. Okay. Just really I, open, respectful communication yeah. developed from that initial stages of like group formation. It was really lovely. I think that's where the sense of maturity had come in though, because I, now I, I, this is an opinion of mine that maybe if someone does have mental health problems, they tend to mature quicker. Because they have to like grow up to be able to deal with it. Okay. If that makes sense. Now, I don't know if that's true. It's just an opinion. Well, it's true for you. Yeah, it definitely is. But see, everybody else in the group that I've spoken to, they're all the same. Like they're on the same boat as well. And I think because of that maturity, they did have that respect and that mutual understanding. So like if someone was having a bad day, you'd know straight away. Yes. And you'd say, you'd be like, come on out, we'll have a smoke or something. Now I don't smoke anymore. But um at the time I did and I'd be like oh come on we'll go have a wee chat or come on we'll go sit I said have a wee smoke get a bit of fresh air and they would just tell you what's happening be like what's on your mind you know talk to me yes and that was so nice and I still text there's one person in the group that I text all the time <laughs> and I'd be like what's happening like I brought her to my formal so I did because she's just the best and it was just like being able to have that sort of relationship is that what the counterpart name comes from that you're yeah, yeah okay Mm-hmm. Okay. And that was like, remember we were all sitting in the the room. It was like next to the recording studio, and we were all sitting down eating pizza, and we were like, "What do we call this?" Like Shawnee was we like, "We need a name." Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what they said. And Ash came up with a brilliant one night. We don't know which one it was. I can't remember if I came up with counterpart or if I came up with color theory. Yeah. Okay. One of one of like there was like someone who came up with counterpart and someone who came up with like color theory, but we were just kind of like batting ideas back and forth yeah. at this stage and we're just kind of like saying the first thing that came to mind and i think i might have come up with counterpart yeah i think it is and it's col- color theory is the name of the the ep yeah yes okay and what does that mean because everyone's different everyone's a different shade of yeah themselves. i think i think the 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 kind of like between like counterpart and color theory they kind of like link into each other a little bit because there's like the counterpart there was um there was a quote from someone in the group um the one about my mental health is part of me yes but that's it's not right. all of me my mental yeah. health is part of me but it's not all of me and that's where the counterpart comes from and the counterpart being that we are all kind of like different parts of like we're all kind of like counterparts of each other mm-hmm. and i think the color theory kind of mixes into that as well being like we're all a little bit different, but we're all still the same. Yes. I don't know if this is like, I don't know if you'll get this, but 
in a way, I feel like we were all sort of jigsaw puzzles and when we came together, it kind of like sort of filled that sort of missing space. And I, I know it did for me. I don't know if it did for anyone else. But you ever get when you feel like you're always missing something? And I felt like that group I was missing. Yeah, that's incredible. Definitely. That's incredible. I, I get that. Yeah. So in terms of the benefits, that sort of camaraderie, that friendship, what else? What else was the kind of the tangible benefits for you guys from the project? The opportunities. There's endless opportunities, and it is amazing being able to help people or being able to get the message across. It's so important because I feel like a lot of people are saying that mental health is sort of a stigma and they're not taking it seriously. Mental health is for everybody everyone it doesn't matter if you're a social worker or if you're a child or if you're a doctor or if you're a bin man you know everybody has mental health and everybody has to take care of it and be sensitive to each other's feelings yeah yeah no matter how mentally like stable you are you're always gonna have some sort of issue with your mental health and that's not always going to need the same level of treatment as everyone but we've all got our own problems and we all have our own ways to deal with them we all need to know how to cope mm-hmm. you know this this whole this whole experience you know gave me it was great though for for opportunities um as well i got all these friends that i can talk to about everything now it's it's great you know so in terms of addressing loneliness that's been a big part of it as well yeah yeah, oh, yeah. definitely especially I was, during covid yeah during covid even before that as well like before that i didn't have a lot of friends you know but then like throughout covid as well keeping being able to keep talking to these people was just like it really helped to get me through it so that's stuff which is kind of here and now you know having friends you know ad- addressing isolation in terms of longer term benefits you know could you tell me about them i'm presuming kind of maybe confidence boost and um feeling you know the benefits of doing something creative and knowing what you're what you're capable actually of in terms of being uh you know being a musician being a, a singer has that been part of it as well oh yeah big time yeah. big time um once i had done this sort of changed my life in the best way possible like going to school or whatever my teachers had saw it and I didn't even know and my partner his mum had actually seen it now we hadn't been going with each other very long but she got an email through on her work because she's an NHS worker she was saying to Matthew and she was all like is that Molly <laughs> <laughs> it was it was Molly um but yeah I think that really helped spread the word that the fact that it went around to all NHS workers, no matter what sector you were in, sort yes, of thing. Yes, yes. And just to kind of explain that, because in Northern Ireland there is an integrated health and social care system, the work that's been done by Sarah in CAMS will have been shared then across um, uh, healthcare colleagues as well. So, we yeah. were saying as well, we in about like your CV, Ash, and you, you were both yeah, like... Yeah, I've, <laughs> I've definitely put it on my CV and I've oh, definitely brilliant. said it in, in job interviews, brilliant. you know, and I've had... I've had job interviews where they've asked me like, "What's your what's your greatest achievement?" And I've told them this, and they're oh, like, "That's, that's honestly yeah. the best answer we've ever that's gotten for that question." That's mm-hmm. that's you know, glad. it's definitely like a whole lifelong achievement that I never thought I'd actually get. That's amazing. That's how you get hired. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean that's, that's that, how that I did get hired I mean, that, at that job. Yeah. yeah, that is so encouraging to yeah. hear that. Yeah, yeah, and like. The context is as well, so step three CAMS is significant enduring mental health difficulties. That's what we work with. Mm-hmm. So you might be talking about young people with severe social anxiety who suddenly are talking about their feelings in a social situation mm-hmm. around other people, then recording it and then being invited to seminars and workshops to deliver this to hundreds of people and to speak about the meaning behind the song. 
it's absolutely amazing like they yeah. were all just so proud of themselves and the change in confidence is phenomenal and then and i suppose just from the social work perspective in terms of like safeguarding there is got to be a role for you there in terms of like was there must be an oversight in terms of is this are you revealing are you comfortable with what you're revealing mm -hmm. how did that kind of absolutely go? yeah i suppose um one-to-one -one support during the course of the group was given like a lot of young people needed time out while mm -hmm. we were going through the process they got time out there were two workers myself and Seanine who were in the room all the time happily have chats outside um you know we were keeping a really close oversight and nobody was brand new to calm so we knew risk and we were able to kind of work with yeah. it that way as well but I suppose the whole point of the group as well is like it's partnership working so it's about young people feeling empowered to know their boundaries to learn their boundaries and to be able to say like okay like I'm comfortable sharing this or I'm not you know and there was that understanding of mm -hmm. kind of confidentiality the other um, amazing thing that the group did, so not only the creative stuff, the recording, they were then invited to do a research project to like analyze the findings. So they're actually like, they've produced an academic research paper with Queen's University. Yes. Which is just amazing. So I can link that in the show notes as well yeah. uh, for anyone who wants to look at kind of, yeah, the just research to, like, of it. Yeah. analyze the benefits of it. And they were saying like being involved in decision making and kind of the empowerment side of things was so important as well, you know the autonomy to make decisions and to know um yeah like more independence like the empowerment part i just think we can't state enough you that's know? amazing yeah mm -hmm. yeah so this question i want to ask a following question this is you know admittedly a bit philosophical so there's no right or wrong answer what i want to know is you know do you consider the opportunity to be creative? Is that healing in itself? Or is it a case that when you're not able to be creative, that you're actually repressing something and that repression in itself is harmful? Um, I think creativity is in everything because it is a learning skill. You have to learn to create something. And you could play football or, you know, you could write poems or you could create something, say, because I'm a product design student, so... You can fix a lot of problems that way. You could create some sort of furniture or some sort of art. Um, but it's like, it's everything is a piece of art in itself. So if you see like a poster on the wall, for example, it's a piece of work in itself. It's not just a poster. Someone made that, someone created that mm -hmm. because thoughts are creation. Um, I do not believe personally that there isn't one person in this entire world who isn't creative in their own way because there's creativity in everyone. It's built into their characteristics from a really, really young age. Do you know what I mean? You could, you know, have various, say there's people who have disabilities, whether that's through vision or physical or mental disabilities, they're still able to create something so beautiful and that could just be their smile. It doesn't have to be art and that is the most beautiful art of all is seeing them smile. So bringing it back to that question then to kind of repre you know to repress that ability to be creative mm -hmm. is that in itself harmful? Oh absolutely absolutely I think from my own experience there have been times where I've literally locked myself in a room and slept all day every day you know watch tv binge at really bad food you know, there was no discipline because I didn't have any hope. I didn't see any any peace. And that was because it was all repressed. I stopped playing my music. I stopped singing. I stopped dancing. I stopped being myself. And I was like that for a really, really long time. And it's okay to be like that. But it's definitely, definitely repression in itself. It's just, you just, there, I don't know how to word it, to be honest with you. 
No, you've done you've done incredibly well. I think uh, thank that's you. a really good point as well, though, in terms of like if it's a change for the person. So like if you're mad into your guitar and suddenly you're not creative with your guitar, you can use that as kind of a milestone for your own recovery and your own journey and be like, oh, okay, I've lost interest in this. What does that mean about how I'm feeling right now? So I think there's a kind of way in that. Okay. Um, it can definitely take a toll. I mean, you know, everyone has the capacity to be creative. Um in anything like you were saying molly but um if there's a change or if there's like you know there could be like a form of like stress or something that could cause like a sort of block like a creative block you you can't keep up that creativity in that time and then you know that can feed into your stress even more you know you become stressed you can't be creative because you can't be creative, you're stressed and it can be a bit of a cycle there that's really difficult to break. Yeah, mm-hmm. I remember hearing an interview a while ago with Gary Lightbody from Snow Patrol and he was talking about his own problems uh, he's had over the years with um, substance use and um, he has he was talking about his anxiety and creative block and how that can all just kind of roll into one thing, one big messy problem um, that's very hard to unpick. Um, talking about stress, moving on, and this isn't, this isn't meant to be a silly question, but being in a recording studio in my experience, is not the most relaxing experience because, you know, you're under pressure, there's money being spent, it's a finite amount of time, you've got to get it right. How did the process of being in the recording studio work for you guys? Did you find that? I mean, I'm, I'm guessing, Molly, you actually found it quite pretty easy, but yeah. was, it, was it an issue for anybody? I think we all found it to be quite exciting, to be yeah. honest. Like, I don't I don't know if anyone was really, like, feeling too pressured about yeah. it that I that I can think of. I, I know I myself was definitely really excited about it because this is... You know, it's something that I've always wanted to do. And I I felt a little bit of pressure when actually recording. I made a couple of mistakes, but then I, I just kind of like realized that like, you know, we're doing this. We can just re-record it. And it was it was very casual. And being with being yes. there with, you know, my yeah. friends definitely yeah. made it a lot easier that we were able to just be casual. I didn't have to sound perfect for them because they already knew that I wasn't perfect. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you're perfect just the way you are. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Um, <laughs> I think that... Uh, it's gonna sound bad, but <laughs> because we weren't spending the money, we were we were yeah, very <laughs> I've never been in that situation. I was always spending yeah money that we had to earn ourselves. I think I'd yes. definitely be a bit more under pressure <laughs> if I was spending the money. Yes, yeah. yes. I was reading an interview a while ago. I can't remember the guy's name. He's a producer. He produced Fontaine's DC and other sort of bands of that elk. And his one of his techniques he uses to get a good performance is basically to tell the band you got to play it live th- three songs back to back. And if one mistake in any of the songs, the whole tape gets wiped and he's trying to create this sort of sense of tension and nervous energy and I'm like that would send me over the edge that yeah. would not work for me but you guys were working with uh, Cormac Neeson weren't you from, yeah. from The were, Answer yes. yeah I remember like literally 20 years ago playing on the same bill as Cormac as The Answer and thinking those guys are pretty special uh, and Cormac went on to tour the world and I went on to work for Baswa <laughs> <laughs> Who really won there? Um, we all have our so, own paths. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but he's a pretty cool guy. How was it working with him? Amazing. Awesome. Yeah, oh, he was, he was so really, lovely. really helpful, really, mm-hmm. really nice, really chill to kind of even just talk to casually. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was great. So encouraging as well. Good. Obviously, with his experience, it was very like if you were nervous or if you were kind of confused about, you know, what you were doing or how to stand or what way you're supposed to sing you would always help you but not in a condescending way mm-hmm. no definitely like if if even if you just like made a slight mistake or something they'd be like no mm-hmm. it's okay take a yeah. breath take a minute mm-hmm. you're good to go yeah 
and he was genuinely blown away like he would come back day after day and say guys like you're amazing like you're so and he was so genuine in saying that that the ability within the group you know people might hear Cormac was involved and think like oh he took a lead with it no like Ollie wrote a lot of the music Molly wrote a lot of the music they wrote the lyrics themselves you know so many of these young people completely did it themselves themselves and then Cormac helped put the tweaks in yeah but it really was like a young person led there is project. something about those well kind of accepting things not being perfect in terms of you know mm-hmm. not being you know Molly you'll say we're all perfect and I agree yeah. but in terms of what we determine perfection to be and I think it's something I struggle with a bit in terms of making music that so much modern music even you know rock music not just pop music is so kind of corrected in post-production so vocals will be tuned you know Mm. beats will be quantized and it sounds perfect in inverted commas but to me it sounds a bit soulless Mm. and then there's this sort of idea of what people expect to be able to do themselves and so like the last project i was involved in with some friends we intentionally did it live left in the mistakes like this is going to sound like real and it is kind of a bit of a it's a bit of a um, aesthetic approach you know in terms of there's nothing wrong with fixing things but I think it is important to understand that something doesn't need to be perfect in inverted commas to be really, really good and really worthwhile. And sometimes a little bit of the mistakes is what makes it more human and makes it more rich, I think, in that. Absolutely. It's like, see Miley Cyrus when she's singing? Oh my God. Her soul is in her music. Like, yes. I used to love Justin Bieber's music because there was soul in it. And then it got really bad. And then I started <laughs> getting good again because he actually put a bit of like, because yes. you could see he was in his songs, but... Yeah, I just, I get where you're coming from completely. I I was going to say something, I can't remember what it was. Oh, it's all right. I definitely find myself listening to like live shows yeah. of yeah. like bands and their songs on like Spotify and everything. Yes. I think it's, it's a nice little break from hearing like the studio recording of that song yeah. to like hearing the live version, how they really play it. Yes. The I saw something recently though where it was Metallica and it was, they were comparing Metallica at download, I think, some fan footage and the actual official recording. And they'd gone and fixed Lars's drums in post because he had messed it up. And so it wasn't live. But I, it was. Do you know what though? Like reverting back to being a student, a product design student, a lot of my tutors say sometimes when you make mistakes that are the best mistakes because it actually brings your piece together. Yeah, you know, 100%, absolutely. And I think that's the thing in terms of like trying to just fight against doing things perfectly. You know, it is, it can be really, it can be really damaging, I think, to your outlook in life and it can bleed into everything else because, you know, if I make a mistake in piece of music you know what what's the big deal if I make a mistake in terms of how I am getting on in a relationship you know that's not the end of the world but if you have this sort of mindset where mistakes are bad and can never be made you know again I'm talking about myself here <laughs> then it can be very 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 difficult and it's it's much more helpful I think to recognize that I um, think um I think the, the the public eye really does need to see these mistakes mm-hmm. in a lot of things a lot more often because we often see these you know these performers the these people these musicians where they they are they're doing their their studio recordings or they're doing like they're performing their things and they're just like they're always perfect they're always on the top of their game and they also look good as well yeah <laughs> but then i think that creates like a really unrealistic expectation yeah. for other people who want to get into that art mm-hmm. um as someone who you know i i want to i want to play more guitar but i often find myself kind of stopping i often find myself putting it down because i'm making too many mistakes and i'm thinking to myself well i'm not immediately perfect so what's the point yeah yeah which is which is very natural natural way to feel and something that we should kind of accept that yeah yeah um yeah you need to get more punk rock where mistakes are 
part of the process. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sarah, I, I, when you gave the presentation um, back in uh, March um, about the project, you had a quote from one of the young people, and I'm just going to read it out here. It was, I will attend Impact when I'm feeling bad, but I won't attend therapy when I'm feeling bad. So, you know, to me, that's really amazing. It really speaks to the success of this work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what do you consider that other social workers can learn from the, the group approach that you've taken? So, yeah, I remember that quote. <laughs> being said and like it was so true as well the attendance and I think that comes down to kind of the interconnectedness where you didn't want to let each other down and they got so much from the group and that they really appreciate it in terms of what other people can learn from it I think no matter what field of social work people are in they need to be communicating from my perspective in terms of like how does the service user want to communicate with you is it using spoken word is it using written word whatever it is like can you communicate kind of on their on their level and that comes back down to that co-production but you know we all have strengths let's help work in partnership with people by helping them communicate in a way they feel confident so that they can showcase their skills and feel empowered that way um i think the need to advocate so so many social workers who are burnt out and they're aware of the pressures that services are under will say well, that's all well and good, but we've no time for that. You have to make time. Like it's not um, like a gift that you give service users to involve them. Like it's their right to be involved. So you have to be willing to push. And our word is non-tokenistic because so many times you're invited to things or people want people involved for a tokenistic reason. Um, I found a quote by Lundy, which was like, make it uncomfortable for adults to solicit children's views and then ignore them. Like we have to protect service users from that level of tokenism because everyone wants to tick the box of co-production, but actually do it authentically and in line with your social work values. Yeah, and that's what we were showcasing at uh, the World Social Work Day event because so yeah. often co-production is just slap a wee co-production on the end of that there. And yeah. um, and even from the, from the very outset, shaping the whole process, not kind of saying we've got this project which you guys can take the lead in but what would you like the project to be yeah, yeah. and you will get resistance but we're from management um colleagues seeing yeah. us in the early stages i mean you've heard molly and ash talk about the importance of that early group formation sitting watching us eat pizza and colleagues rolling their eyes and saying like oh have their time to be eating pizza like that's where the work happens they need to form a group they need to kind of bond to then feel empowered to do things together yes absolutely um, and so, so where did the funding come from because if you're talking about any resistance was <laughs> that a difficulty to get the funding it was, yes. But again, if you're able to advocate properly for us, you know, we can make it happen. So the funding was from charitable funds, art and health um, money. So um, it wasn't trust money, is that right? So it was a section of the trust. Oh, okay, okay. A section okay. of the trust. However, whenever the young people were invited to conferences, we get paid, they get paid. So we're paid as part of our daily role, not specifically to attend conferences. But if we're going to be paid to attend, they get paid as well. Okay. Obviously, they'll get money. And then we put money in for impact cams. And then we're able to do things like pay, yes, you know, for part of the recording studio or whatever. And also, like, not everything costs money. So um, Dr. Amanda Shields did all of our video work. So they have music videos. That was just pure goodwill. Oh, like, awesome. Yeah. She, she, absolutely amazing and the videos are great yeah um, but in terms of i mean whether or not i mean there could be economies of scale because i mean group work it, one-to-one work is also very expensive so yeah. when you bring a group of people together were there any economies of scale realized yeah like once the successes came through people saw it you know and people move on beyond talking therapies once they're feeling better right so if you're able to get people better but the other thing it wasn't the project wasn't aiming to um be cheap 
and like good and cheap and easy just don't exist like it's really really hard work um so yeah it was more just about the co-production side of things rather than it was trying to be like a money saving thing but definitely the outcomes would say that people felt much better and if people are feeling better in a mental health service they're not going to stick around it's working yeah, yeah yeah Now, Molly and Ash, you're both over 18. Um, Is there a new cohort, Sarah, in camps or how's how's that panning out? So there's been like a massive change um, around camps in terms of like management and um, just a lot of movement, I suppose. At the minute, um, we're gathering feedback again in terms of what service users want now because Molly and Ash's cohort really wanted creative arts, but that might not be the case now. So... um, we're we've kind of we've got a bit better at getting feedback so we're using qr codes now which for the trust is fairly (laughs) high tech and so we don't have an active group now but we're kind of in the early stages of of forming it and trying to get what they want really okay um but we've seen a massive change in the ethos within cams since this project you know and can you tell us anything about where that's going or is it too early to kind of it's too early really to say there have been conversations hard about like so for example since um molly and ash and other people like them within the group went and performed at seminars and things um people are now co-facilitating like therapeutic groups with us which is service user involvement yes, just in absolutely. a different form um so it's about what what they want okay um, and how long do you need sorry, three years or so four years to come back tell us what the next project yeah yeah. Yeah. Okay. See you then. <laughs> yeah. um, yes. Um, so sorry. Sorry, didn't mean to cut you off. Sorry. Um, in terms of live performances, Ashmole, you've been doing seminars. You've been. Is there anything more in the in the kind of the pipeline for you? Um. Well, there was this today. Uh, <laughs> this is the pinnacle. Yeah. yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> but you know what? We actually don't really find out until like maybe a month or two in advance. Yeah. So it's never. It's there is a form of preparation. Um, but there's also not at the same time, which we're totally fine with. Like, mm-hmm. we're chill with that. Um, but yeah, we probably won't know until then. Yeah. Okay. And in terms of even just the group as well, we've all kind of gone our own separate ways now. Um, so we're all just kind of doing our own thing. We're not really sure if we would be able to get the full group yeah. mm-hmm. back. But I mean, if we could, I'd I'd be down, you know, if everyone else is down. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. You, have you plans to do anything else um, musically, Ash? No, um, I've I always wanted to as a kid, but I I don't know if I can really take it much further. I find that um, some of these things take quite a mental toll on me, okay. and I want to keep it up as a hobby, absolutely. Oh, but sure, I sure. don't think I could take it much further than that. Okay, okay. Molly, what about you? What are you involved with at the minute? Because I think that's really relevant too in terms of like schools and stuff. Because that's can from you your experiences <laughs> of talking. Yeah, so um, I have recently went to one of the schools to speak about how unique people are and how sometimes when you go through secondary school, you sort of forget about it, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I think because you've got all them hormones and you're going through something that's really stressful through your teenage years, people can kind of lose their identity a wee bit. They kind of get a wee bit lost. They're like, who am I anymore? I don't know myself. Just trying to fit in with the crowd they never view themselves as themselves like they never see themselves as unique and that can cause such such a bad toll on their effect their Mm. mental health um so i had recently done a project with a lady called carl lovely woman absolutely dote on her she's lovely um and she got me in last minute to help out and it was just an amazing experience 
honestly, I now I knew it was going to be good, but I never thought it would be that good. So this has basically made it easier for you, the project to talk about mental health and has given you new opportunities to do that? Oh, absolutely. It's taught me a lot of social skills as well. Um, I really struggle socially. Um, and I didn't really realise that until recently, but I am not good in social situations. <laughs> um, so I think it definitely, definitely helped out with that in a, a very, very big way. So we're going to play out with one of the songs from the EP. Molly, what's the song called? Hope. Hope. Wonderful. So you're going to hear Hope from Colour Theory. And thank you so much for listening. Ash, Molly, Sarah, thanks so much for coming on to Let's Talk Social Work. I've had an absolute blast. It's been wonderful talking to you. Thank thanks. you so much. Have the best time. Rain falls down my window Never to see life for days Walking down the streets so narrow Washing all my worries away Me and myself and I Worry cause there's no music to play I'm washing all my worries away I'm washing all my worries away And I will never be the same again And I will never think the same Again, running out of time Again and again Cause I'm washing all my worries away Yeah, I'm washing all my worries away Sun peeks through my window But my curtains are closed I always get drawn to the darkness and I'm never ever feeling close Me and myself and I Worry cause There's no music to play I'm washing all my worries away I'm washing all my worries away And I will never be the same Again And I will never be the same Running at a time Again and again Cause I'm washing all my worries away Yeah, I'm washing all my worries away Lying in a meadow Quiet and sound I feel my emotions Quietly calm down Again. And I will never think the same again Running out of